Hello, everyone. My name is Shane Petkowitz. Welcome to another episode of Zero. This is now season two, which is very exciting to say. I uh, hope you, uh, if you've been listening, enjoyed season one and uh, really excited to bring you another season. Um, it was going to be exciting list of people from, again, across the globe with all kinds of different backgrounds, uh, trying to expand the scope a little bit uh, beyond uh, waste specifically and to encompass zero impact as well. And uh, we'll also be changing the format a little bit from the previous season if you've been following along. So more details will to come towards the end of the episode. For our first episode, very excited to have Sammy Aaron join us. Uh, we talk about the intersection of mental health and climate activism. Um, we had a great conversation on how we can respond in the face of the significant change that's happening at the global level and how we can take a mindful approach to doing this. Sammy is the founder of the nonprofit, The Resilient Activist. Uh, their mission is to build resilience, optimism, and hope in response to the impact of the climate crisis by providing community, stress relief, and nature-connected programming that supports positive ecological change. Uh, she has studies in meditation and yoga along with a significant desire to guide others into a life rich in nature connection and uh, hopes to support those uh, to strive and live in conscious harmony with the earth. So it was a great conversation, uh, really in depth and learned a lot about how we can bring mindfulness to our activism. Hope you enjoy. I think the first thing to understand is this is happening globally. So it's not just the United States. It's not just what our government does or doesn't do or what our corporations do or don't do. This is a global impact. So the Climate Psychology Alliance started in the UK and there's now a Kansas City, I mean, a, a United States chapter, not chapter, different organization, the Climate Psychology Alliance. but. It's happening around the world, and especially those people who live on islands, who live on the, the shorelines, uh, people who are protecting their lands, protecting down the Amazon, protecting um, really important wild places in, in Africa. They've been experiencing the emotional impacts of, of climate change and the causes of it for so many years. And, um, you know, there's this, if you want to talk higher level, uh, there are hundreds of environmental activists who are murdered every year or who are intimidated, who lose their jobs, who are threatened, their families are threatened because of the work that they do. And so the emotional impact is just grave. I know there was a big study um, maybe 10 years ago in India with um, recurring droughts and changes in the monsoon seasons. Um, there were more than 100,000 suicides of farmers in India, and some of that had to do with uh, Monsanto crops, and they weren't able to legally recover their seeds to plant the next year, and it just uh, destroyed them economically and emotionally, and so it's huge, and the fact that there are organizations like the Climate Psychology Alliance, Climate Psychiatry Alliance, and other groups at the higher level of mental health services is, uh, it's really important and it's really telling. 
it's telling how widespread this is yeah it is telling and it, i mean it is it is just tragic right you're starting to hear new terms that i hadn't heard about things like eco-anxiety pre-traumatic stress solastalgia which are different obviously uh, challenges or anxieties that are caused from from what's happening can you just dig into what those necessarily are and, and clearly it's it's a global challenge that we're all facing right Global challenge. So an Australian psychologist, Glenn Albrecht, uh, actually created a whole lexicon of new terms, mental health terms related to climate impacts. So solastalgia, for example, is this pining for a lost environment. And that actually came out. He was uh, actively involved after Hurricane Katrina took out, you know, our entire Gulf Coast. And working in the mental health um, arena there, people would come back to their land, come back to their property, and yes, they would be upset and worried about people who were killed or injured, about loss of jobs, about their homes destroyed. But what was a real eye-opener for him was how many people bemoaned, like just gut-wrenchingly bemoaned, the loss of a favorite tree or a favorite area out in nature and it was this um visceral connection that we now know we have as human animals right to actual places in nature and he just started this whole uh, dictionary i wish i could think of the name of his book but uh it's really interesting how um his, this language wasn't there 10 20 years ago Correct. It wasn't there. At least I, I wasn't aware of it. And I think it's arising because of this connection is in some ways being severed, right? And, and we're starting to feel the effects of that. I'm curious, what led you to this space? How did you get come to this crossroads of, of both mental health and uh, climate activism? Yeah. So I've been an environmental activist dabbling in it for a long time and wasn't my main job um really connected with my older son who was also an environmental activist and as he learned more and taught me more and he studied at higher levels um he got to the place where he was in graduate school he was working on a master's in urban and regional planning he was in a joint law program. And we used to joke that he would be the only attorney in the entire world whose parents would always have to support him because he'd be working for some nonprofit that just didn't have the funds to pay him a living wage. And there was a point where he understood so much about the global perspective and what was happening and the, all the systemic injustices, the social injustices that, that were partnered with that and began to feel that he wasn't gonna make any difference. And in 2003, we lost him to suicide. And to be really frank, even though I was an environmental activist myself, like and I, I got it, I didn't get it to the level that he did. And I had no idea really of where his head was emotionally, where his heart was during those last maybe two years or so of his life. And, um, I think that that's 
I know that that's what the impetus was to start with the resilient activist. And so um, 2003, he's been gone almost 19 years now. And it took me about 15 years to, um, to feel like I had enough tools in my tool belt to be able to support people like him. And so going through my grief process after he passed, um, someone, one of his friends took me to yoga the next day and yoga, meditation, yoga breathing practices really uh, were so important to me. I became a yoga teacher, a pranayama teacher, yoga breathing. And um, most of my time in deep grief was spent in nature. You know, there were days I didn't, I couldn't do anything else. And as a software developer, had my own company and just there were days I was like, I have to get out there by myself out in nature. And so there were these healing processes that came through from my time spent in nature, that sense of total welcoming, right? I could say whatever I wanted. I could regret whatever I wanted to regret. I could be angry. I could be, you know, it could just blah right out of me. And wherever I was in nature would say, oh, bring it on. Just bring it. Come here. Sit down right here. And just let the sunshine, look at you, Shane, you're getting me all teared up. You know, it was like this sense of welcoming that um, that I needed. It was part of my healing. And so that plus my activism, plus my grief, plus his grief, you know, it's like it all came together. And um, there was a moment I was retiring, I was closing my software business. And I thought, you know, I think I have a lot of tools that were not, a, that maybe were available to him. I mean, he lived in San Francisco. If he wanted to take yoga, I'll bet he could have found a yoga studio. You know what I mean? But it wasn't that focus on, because this is your grief pertaining to climate change. It is now, 20 years later, right? But back then, there wasn't that understanding. And so that's my story. It was like, I, I had the words of the resilient activist in the back of my mind. I didn't know what the organization would look like, but that was the goal. So, yeah, and and thank you for sharing that. It is, um, I mean, just tragic the fact that um, individuals we really kind of feel really um, so much grief uh, when we see the destruction of this world. So, thank you for sharing that. And I think having had my own personal mental health challenges independently, I can definitely acknowledge the benefits of being in nature, of breathing, of meditating. I don't do too much yoga, but I do like to go run, just like running out in, in the mountains. And so that has been hugely beneficial to me when I'm going through my own personal challenges. So I acknowledge that. So one, one thing I, I do wanna dig into is the, I think you were involved in, in the nature process which I think speaks a lot about to having a sustained connection with nature. And this is something I've definitely felt, but I wanted to get your thoughts on what's that feeling of connecting back into nature and being in nature for you. Sure. So the nature process was I had connected with a woman in Scotland. Her name's Tabitha Jane, who she has a book out called The Nature Process. It's not her main focus anymore. She's shifted into working with sustainable businesses and business coaching. But we connected for a number of years. She had suffered a loss in her life and found nature was, you know, her salvation. 
And um, we basically did the same thing. There were these steps we would go through and she had the clarity to say, well, if you do these five steps anytime, you're gonna have this like release, like you can just leave your grief right out there in nature. And so the nature process was this um, kind of all around encompassing, really deeply connecting to nature. And it's where you're, maybe you have an idea, a thought, a worry, a decision to make, a dilemma, a grief, whatever, and you decide you're gonna go out to nature with that. And so you pack a lunch, like you get whatever your body needs to be comfortable. You've got the appropriate clothing on and sunscreen and a sun hat and whatever. Take a journal and you just step onto the path of wherever, whatever calls to you. And this could be done in your house, looking at a house plant, right? It doesn't really matter, but some, something from the natural world, you step into that place. And the first thing you start doing is looking around and you're like, and you notice your breath and you're like, where do I wanna sit, right? Do I sit on the bench? Because, you know, some engineer said this is a good place because it's so, you know, so far from the sidewalk or whatever, or do I, and, and you start noticing, oh, that's really interesting. And maybe you'll notice an area that's brighter, that's sunnier, or that just feels so welcoming. So this is this natural attraction and you just, step into it and it's as if you decide to immerse yourself into that place you open all your senses like you literally spend time noticing what you hear and looking at the colors and it's a kind of an eco psych or it's based on an eco psychology perception of how many senses we actually have so we think we have five okay some people think we have six uh depends on who your audience is right what we really have is these receptacles. So we have our sense of sight, but oh my gosh, what we really have is a sense of shape and form and direction and color and movement, all these things that are just being received through our eyes. But each one of those is a sense in itself. So that's the nature process is to be there with this mindset of here's the problem I'm bringing today or the question that I have. And as you're sitting there connecting with this place, you begin to notice these metaphors, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, that's just like me. And so, you know, there's a, a article on our website that um, is called Building Community of Forest Metaphor. And it was kind of how I started the Resilient Activist. And I was sitting underneath a tree and I'm looking and it's this kind of fat tree that has these humps on it. And I'm like, wow, that could be like droopy boobs and a big butt and a belly. And I'm like, yeah, it looks just like me. And it kind of had, you know, lots of curly hair and what leaves and stuff. And it was this mother tree. And I was like, oh my gosh, the mother tree. And like, what would that mean from the resilient activist perspective? What if I was a mother tree? And that's how the nature process works. It's like, you really connect, you have a thought, an idea, wish, whatever, and there's some metaphor that'll help take you into um, kind of a deeper understanding, maybe maybe a bit of biomimicry or whatever. That's, that's helpful. I, I think I have never actually approached it going into nature in that with that mindset, but what I, I do do um, or have done is that if I'm just, and you're completely right, it doesn't necessarily need to be out 
you don't need to be alone in the mountains or on the beach or somewhere it can be uh, on your street if there's just a tree nearby or some any any plant really <laughs> um but what I, what I like to do is just is pause and and try to take in experience the moment in all five well in my case five senses <laughs> so, so you know, like what am I seeing what am I hearing what am I feeling smelling tasting as a way to just take that moment of being in a beautiful place um which I think one thing that I found is that it really gives a sense of connecting and wanting to protect the space that you're in because it's bringing this positive energy um and so I think that's this connection that you speak of, I think is part of philosophy of the uh, regenerative activist, And it's also some of the, the five essentials that you have, right? So yeah. Can you just speak to, to what that means to you? Yeah, so the five essentials, it was like, when I started the Resilient Activist, I just had these teachings that wanted to pour out of me, you know, how to be zero waste or how to, how to put in pollinator habitat or um, I don't know, I just had all these, you know, what, why, uh, why do people kill tomato hornworms, you know, when they actually, if you let them live, they turn into the sphinx moths, and they're like, amazing, they're like the hummingbird moth, I mean, they are, you know, and it's like, people need to know this stuff, so I had all these things that just wanted to come out of me, and in working with uh, someone, as we have set the organization up, was like, they kind of melded into these five categories of here's what feels really important to me so the first one is reconnect to nature so that is just exactly what i just talked about just get out there be in nature understand it pay attention to it so if you're running i think shane you had mentioned to me earlier that you're a runner um spend that time before you actually start that run to be in the moment, to notice the weather, notice the temperature, pay attention to the color of the sky and the feel of the soil or the pavement or whatever it is beneath your feet so that you are part of that, you become part of that part of nature. And we can do that in our everyday lives. The second one is to respect all life. And so some of that has to do with, you know, pollinator habitat and extinction awareness and all of that. And yes, we want to protect and, you know, um, whether it's factory farming or whatever the concept is of being in kinship with and respecting all living beings. There's this other perspective of respecting our own lives and taking the awareness that we can't do it all and we can't um, can't even understand it all, let alone do it all. And we can only do so much. And so respecting our own lives and finding the way to be um, nurturing, like in the same way you'd care for other people, it's really important to care for yourself. So for, for the longevity of your activism, uh, you need to be replenished yourself. So that's respecting all life. The third one is to regreen our planet. And, you know, if we take a look at how much of our planet, if you just look at your own neighborhood, how much of that is covered in pavement or buildings, right? Or mowed grass, which has very little uh, benefit for soil quality, water quality, pollinator habitat, you know, anybody's habitat, bird habitat. And so anything that we can do to put back, even if it's just all you have is a patio and great big pots of native plants, 
That's fantastic. So everything that we can do to put back what we have taken away, even if if we feel like we're not making any difference, well, if you and every one of your neighbors put in two big pots and native plants, you're gonna have some happy pollinators, right? It's gonna make a big difference. Um, revamp our spending. This is kind of the zero waste piece to me is this is a mindfulness practice. And I say practice because it doesn't come easy and it's uh, retraining our minds, right? Like we've been taught, we've grown up with expecting certain things. And um, I'll just share a little story. I was in a meeting with a group of people who were uh, working on some climate activism and they'd been together a while and someone within the group was having a baby and the group wanted to do a baby shower. And so these are people really committed. They're working with their legislators, you know, like the really strong, staunch activists. And within this baby shower was, well, I think we need to go to the thrift stores, you know, and see what we can find. And other people saying, well, you don't want to give a baby something that's used. These needs, we need to get new stuff. And there was this whole, like surprising awareness with the person who was telling me the story about, oh my gosh, even within this, we're at different sides of this. So that whole revamp our spending, that's a practice. You know, one item at a time, what are you able to do within your culture and your history, your family and so on. And then the final one is replenish our resources. To me, that's composting. To me, that's when I'm uh, I'm running the hot with the water in the kitchen to wash dishes and it's cold. You know, the water's still cold. I take my watering can and put it underneath there while the water heats up. Then I've got my watering can. I can fill up the bird bath or I can go water my house plants with it or whatever. And it's this whole mindfulness practice how much do we take without even thinking about it, right? A lot of us are pretty good about turning the water off when we brush our teeth or things like that, but there's there's always deeper levels. It's like a yoga practice. You know, you step in with whatever your body's able to do today, and the more you learn, the more you learn there is to learn, and the deeper you can go. And that's that's the five essentials, and it just kind of gives a way to categorize and maybe think about different aspects of that big picture, that big, big shift in how we live our lives. That's fascinating. And uh, I definitely, what, what strikes me is the notion that this is a practice of, of resource recovery, of being zero waste. And, you know, the, I've definitely, the more I've learned about waste, the more I've been able to incorporate things into my practice to try to minimize that. But then how do you, I guess one thing I, when I, it also, it, for me, it can be kind of like a double-edged sword because the more I know it's the more I'm realizing I'm not, I am wasting, right? And so how do you balance that mindset between I can do one extra thing, I can collect water for my watering plants, I can uh, buy used clothing for a baby shower, but then also realize that everything, like there are lots of other things that are being wasted. So how do you, and as, the, as you develop that practice, how do you, maintain that balance it's really hard and then you'll read an article about you know someone who does a whole year's blog posting on 
you know, all of their trash for the whole year is in one, you know, mason jar. And now you have your comparative. You are not as good as that person, right? You're a failure. You're, you know, you suck at this. <laughs> you know, you suck at zero waste. Like you're, you're a non-zero waste. You're like a, you're a greenwashing zero waster. You know, like you can get into this whole mindset of I'm never going to be good enough. Now, you know, all the look at all what these other people are doing in comparing. It's real easy for us to get into that across the board. And again, to me, it's the meditation practice. So the resilient activists, we have meditation courses going all the time, focused on embodied activism. And it's that practice of saying, oh my gosh, I just learned about this one thing I didn't know about, I didn't realize before and I'm not doing it or I'm doing it incorrectly or I'm not making a, a big enough dent in it. And you feel this in your body, right? If your shoulders kind of hunch, like you're a little failure and there's this tightness in your chest and maybe through your gut and maybe your teeth clench. And there's this whole visceral reaction to, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not doing enough. Look who's suffering because of what I'm not doing or how I'm doing it. A meditation practice is, is a formal mindfulness practice. It's where you set aside a specific time. You have a teacher, which I always recommend a teacher. Uh, when you have a mature practice, feel free to go online and listen to meditation recordings. But the teacher is going to guide you through noticing where your body's reacting and helping you expand your breath so that you can switch from living in that fight or flight anger mode and switch into that relaxation response and what happens is you shift how your brain works so when you're in fight or flight mode parts of your brain are cut off right you're in emergency you're, you're in an emergency situation and so there are certain aspects that you don't even think about so when you get yourself into a place where the breath is slow the exhalations are deep the body relaxed you've released any of that tension, all of a sudden now you have other thoughts and you can see things like, well, of course I can't do everything. Well, of course I didn't know about this until I read this article. So for me to feel guilty about it is just, you know, my mind telling me I should feel guilty. And so you just approach things from a different perspective. And there's this sense of higher compassion for yourself. There's actually practices that are self-compassion practices. Um, and so how do you balance that with still wanting to be really active and wanting to make a difference? It's a practice and it's a practice. So in a yoga practice, the first day you come to yoga, I promise you're not gonna be able to sit in full lotus. And I'll promise you this, I've been doing yoga for 20 years now, I'm never gonna get into full lotus, right? I can see people doing it, it's beautiful. It's never gonna be me. And so there's this, the balance is what feels right for me as I make a decision or I'm gonna do something, it's just that same piece of being out in nature, what feels really good? And so so I had a, an activist one time really just break me over the coals for not wanting to go with them down to our state capitol to confront our legislators about something. And I was just like, you know, that's not mine to do. I, I don't have the voice for that. I'm not the, 
I get tongue tied when someone's got better facts than I do. You know, that's not me. Thank goodness there are people that are able to go do that. That is theirs to do. But when I think about confronting and using, uh, you know, blame and all that kind of thing, I close up. And so I'm not thinking, I'm not expressing myself with my all my capacity. So part of the meditation practice and the mindfulness practice of this is, well, what isn't mine to do? Or what couldn't I have possibly done? Because I didn't even know it before. So I'm okay with that. So today I know about this and I'm gonna do that. Or today my, my family's ill or I've got some deadline at work or I don't have the money. I really don't have the money to do that thing right now. And I'm going to be okay with that. And maybe I can send an email to the people who are doing that, who are working on that, and thank them for what they do. And maybe that's enough because I'll tell you, every time I get an email with a thank you, I just go, I'm doing a good job. You know, I'm I am making a difference. And I'm and I'm and I made a difference in this one person's life. How are zero waste activists, climate activists responding to this? approach that you're you're uh providing um because I, I think it seems like it seems like the philosophy is if you prioritize your own well-being that's gonna naturally allow for the improved well-being of the planet right or and vice versa so do p are people open about it do they even get the connection do they are they reticent how do they respond well i would say yes so everything you said yes that's how people are um <laughs> you know so so my response to this person was with the the baby shower wow what a great opportunity for you to bring these people together and take a couple deep breaths together and say here's the deal we all really care about this same topic and we're all at different places and how do we align this as opposed to i think you're right or i think i'm right um, how, what can we do? And I'll just take the resilient activists, for example. There was this sense of as an organization, so in her case, as a group or as someone who has uh, an identifying title, I'm a zero waste aficionado, right, or whatever. We set our standards. And so we can set the standards as a group. So we have on our website when we have in-person events, and I know we're gonna have them again, I just know it. When we have in-person events, here's what we're gonna do. And we put that in writing on our website, right? We're gonna compost, we're gonna, we have our own dishes and cutlery and whatever. And this is our standard. This is what we believe. Do each of our board members do that for every one of their events at their homes? Probably not, right? Because there's pushback. There's family that will just make total fun of you or be really ticked off because it's the holidays and you're not letting them use paper plates, you know, and someone's going to have to clean up and the whole, you know, so there's this sense of what is the standard or what's the utopian, what's the ideal, what would you love to achieve, and then there's allowing the reality being with the reality and balancing how that feels like is it going to feel better to have a big argument with your sister about using real dishes versus just saying 
well, okay, let me get compostable paper plates this time and I'll take them home and put them in the compost. So that's what I'm talking about using coming from coming away from anger and confrontation or even your own personal checklist of what you have to do and how you have to be and how you've identified yourself and what would people say if you didn't, right? To being in this more relaxed state about, oh, here's the problem. Here's what they want. She wants to not have to wash dishes. I can get that, right? Here's what I want. I want the zero waste, but I there are compostable ones. So, so it's it's a different way of approaching that and approaching your own um, your own personal requirements that you think your own personal identity your own card carrying zero waster that god forbid you should have to stick that in your back pocket once in a while so nobody knows that's who you think you are yeah and in in terms of there i think there are two key areas of okay how do i approach this that really in some ways i feel the most guilty about uh, and when it comes to zero waste first one is is as you're getting on the plane right flying traveling um because if i'm gonna go see family or if i'm going for work or gonna go see friends obviously i would want to go do that but i'm aware of the emissions that are associated with it and then two the one that i'm most interested to kind of daily life is you know single-use plastics you know if i buy a takeout order and there's just the extra spoon and fork and knife and it's used for five seconds five minutes and then it's going thrown away so how how uh, do you have any tips practical tips or about how to improve mindset or improve that practice out how do you approach these things it's traveling is really hard and um i can remember the day as a software developer and having clients out of town i would travel a lot on airlines and um I remember bringing home all my recycling in my suitcase. So I would have like from a hotel room, I'd have the empty toilet paper roll and the, you know, little empty bottle of shampoo or whatever. Um, of course, we all drank out of plastic water bottles back in the day and I'd just bring them all home. And my husband would be like, what are you doing? Well, there were no recycling bins anywhere, right? Except the place we could take them to at our house. I wouldn't even have curbside at the time. So I get that. Just how do you, you have your routine, you know how to do these things in your home. What do you do when you travel? And the first thing is you just give yourself a little slack. So assuming that you've already been mindful about the travel itself, and you've said to yourself, I don't have the time or the money, or I have to be there by a certain date, or for whatever reason, I really need to fly. Then allow yourself that and say, okay, I've been mindful, I've thought about this, and this is gonna be the best thing I have to do, right? Because the next time you might make a different decision. And that's part of that practice. It's just, it's being mindful about your choices. There's this other component called hand printing hand printing is where you do what feels right for you and set the stage and make it easier for others to join you in that right it's not dogmatic it's not laws it's not regulations right it's 
inviting people. So I give the example, one of the yoga studios I used to teach at, um, the owners were really environmental and they had a big recycling bin, you know, curbside recycling pickup. And um, that recycling bin was way in the back uh, closet by the trash bin by the back door. Handprint. And so people coming to yoga with their water bottles, of course, and then there's the toilet paper rolls and whatever, would throw them in the trash. And then the studio owners would take the trash container back to the big bin and separate out, right? The recycling. A, disgusting, but B, okay. So hand printing is where they create a beautiful recycling bin, right? I mean, they make it beautiful because yoga people can do that. And they put it by the front door and they put another one in the bathroom, right? And that's all they have to do. And they put up a sign saying, we recycle because this is why we care, whatever. And here's what can go in here in this container. Now they've made it so easy. They've, they've not only um, clearly stated to their customers, their students, that they care. So they're sharing that that's a value that's really important to them, but they're allowing these people to easily step into that, which then is going to permeate into their homes. So there's there's a that's a real different way than a dogmatic, you are required, we're going to do this. Like, I don't care what you say, because this is the right thing to do. It's just a different approach that I think has an even wider impact because it becomes mindful. It becomes a mindfulness practice for everybody involved. And that's what it's going to take. It's going to take each one of us in every moment noticing what we do. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating. That's fascinating in terms of, I really appreciate the, the my view of it being an invitation of how, how can we kind of include people as part of their own practice and our own personal practices to, to really what, in the end, we're all trying to ideally go have the same goal. We, we, we enjoy being in a space where uh, we're feeling fulfilled and, and mindful and we're doing something that we enjoy, right? So imagine that where everyone's kind of going in the same direction, but how do we encourage that if people are at different stages of the practice? Um, yeah, let me, let me just add one little piece to that. So what that also does is open the door for a student maybe who's wanted to start recycling at home and just didn't, didn't feel right about it, but wanted to. And now that student can go home and say, well, it's so interesting. You know, I was at Yada Yada Yoga Studio and they had this sweetest looking recycling bin. And it felt so good to be able to walk out, throw the bottle in there. And of course, you know, the next step is to buy the Yoga Studio's reusable water bottle. But that was anyway. Um, but it's it's like giving people the chance to not just take it themselves, but then take it a little bit further further themselves, you know, like, oh, these people are, are out loud about this. Maybe I could start to be out loud about that too. And I want to take, as people start seeing, okay, how, what is one thing I can do? If we kind of move back in that journey from this to the start, I think what I'm finding is a lot of people and myself included can at times just feel if we think about the what's happening globally at the climate at the climate in the climate space, 
it can really feel almost overwhelming. And it can almost be in some ways paralyzing and says there's too much that I can personally do. And I think that ties into resilience, right? The way you're trying to strive for. So for someone who's listening, who as this, what would be an invitation to them right now to do one thing to either improve their resilience or what's one thing that they can do and to say that, you know, they can make an impact. It is a big challenge, but collectively we, if we all keep doing one in one thing, one, one thing, it's going to, it's going to alter the, the course. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, you know, the first thing to remember is if you like honey and uh, my sister and brother-in-law are beekeepers and um, a honeybee in its entire lifetime doesn't produce more than a quarter of a teaspoon of honey. And yet, you know, they're selling it by the gallons out there. And so every single thing that every single one of us does has great value that you may never know about, that you will never know about. You will never see the results of any one thing that you do, right? So my suggestion especially with your zero waste crowd here or you know your audience is i would take a piece of paper or uh you know on your computer and just list all the things that you still do that produces trash right so if so if zero focus zero waste is your focus just make a list of everything you do that produces trash or waste or you know something you feel like you should change that you haven't done yet or you tried and it was too hard, or for some reason you couldn't or didn't continue to do that. And you make that whole list. And then you can um, kind of prioritize. We actually have something like this on our website. I forgot about it. Anyway, um, you kind of prioritize, well, what would be the easiest things to do, right? And you, you mark those. And then you go, well, kind of what would be medium? What would be hard? What would be long-term? Like what would be a really huge thing to have to deal with or maybe really expensive or really time-consuming to implement? So you kind of categorize these things and you do them one at a time. You just pick one. Maybe you pick the easiest ones first because they're easy, but you only do one at a time and do it for a length of time till it becomes a habit. So maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month, right? And when you feel like this is something I don't even have to think about anymore. I mean, I can remember how many years it took me to remember to take my reusable shopping bag into the grocery store, right? It'd be in the trunk. It was before they had the little bitty roll up ones you could keep in your purse. And it took forever to remember that. And, you know, walking back out there in a snowstorm to get them just to just you know, so just do that because, and then every time you do, you check it off and you can see your progress and, and even start with what you're already doing. Like I would start with, here's what I'm already doing. And <clears throat> here's the thing, I'm going to guess that most of your audience aren't just trying to live zero waste. They're also looking at <clears throat> their energy consumption. They're also looking at how they source their food and they're, you know, they're looking at pollinator habitat and they're, you know, this is just the one component and we could all come up with hundreds of things just to put on that one list. So taking a look at that big picture and knowing that doing one thing at a time mindfully 
and joyfully. So you practice it enough to where you're like, oh, I can do this. This is good. And I can check that off. And now you've got a list of a hundred of those things, right? And so you get to the harder ones and you're like, okay, I can take my time with this. And there's gonna be, there's a different way of thinking about this that makes it feel so hard. So is it that I just get compostable plates then, right? Is there another, is there an interim solution? Is there a first step, you know? So, so it's really, if you're really, your heart's really into making this shift, knowing that your entire life has been um, led to you from a different perspective, right? You have all these habits and practices and uh, traditions and everything that were ingrained in you, your family, your culture, your ancestors, whatever. You just kind of start with, well, here's what I'm already doing. And here's some easy things I can do. And then here's the next step. And you just see how that progresses. Perfect. Well, I really, that's, that's great. I think I'm going to start creating a list right now. And what's the one thing I can do? <laughs> I would invite you to write me a blog post. Let's put it on. Okay. Perfect. Hours. Absolutely. That would be very interesting. You have to be honest though. You have to, you have to come up with how hard this particular thing is or how it made you feel or what it took for you to work through that, you know, or a relationship issue that came up that, I don't know, don't just give me a checklist. <laughs> I don't want just a checklist. I want to know how it felt for you to yeah, do Yeah, uh, let's do it. <laughs> Great. Cool, cool, Perfect. Cool. Well, uh, Sammy, thank you so much for coming onto the, the podcast. Really appreciate it. And some really great uh, insights into how we can all uh, be mindful about our practices and how we can be more cognizant of reducing waste and be more in tune with the climate and the world. Thank you. Thanks for what you do. It's good stuff. Hello again. Hope you enjoyed the episode with Sammy Aaron. I certainly did. And uh, for the rest of the season two, I was thinking we could go a little bit on an interactive journey together. Uh, based on the recommendations that these uh, uh, individuals come and provide in the episodes uh, where we can kind of work through each of their one thing that they can do. Uh, and we can do that throughout this season and see how it goes. So for uh, episode one, obviously, the Sammy recommended that we put together a list of uh, things that we can potentially do to try to reduce our waste uh, that we create. Uh, making it as extensive as we want and just focusing on one thing. So that's what I'm going to be doing over the next week is drafting this list, choosing one thing to try to eliminate from my the waste that I'm generating over the next week. Uh, and then I'll report back and then uh, we can focus on what the next recommendation is. So that's what I'm working on. Hope if you're interested, please join. Uh, can comment in uh, the episodes when they're posted and we'll see how it goes. Have a good one.